episode of Marketing Revelations. I'm your host, Dan Flesh, and this month I'm joined with co-host Emily George, who is our Senior Manager of Brand Partnerships. And today we're going to continue a little bit of the conversation we were having with Dean a couple months back and dive a little bit deeper into the strategy behind how you execute some of these uh, marketing plans for multi-location businesses and brands. So let's bring Emily in. Emily, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great. Looks like you're in your backyard. It looks very peaceful. Yes, thank you. Uh, they are in the process of demoing my bathroom today, so I get to have this little outdoor oasis. That sounds like that's a great office. Right? Yes. Not bad. So, Emily, obviously with Rev Local, our bread and butter is that localized piece working with small businesses, so it only makes sense that when we can, we pivot that over into the multi-location and the bigger brands. So what's what does that look like and what's that other piece of that puzzle? Yeah, for sure. So that's that's a lot of what I do uh, with Dean and our teams is talking to brands about how do they make marketing work across the scope of their brand. Um, and we're seeing it right now more than ever that local really matters. Um, brands kind of live on the power of their brand and their reputation and brand awareness. And that's a lot of why we see franchisees kind of get into those businesses. But then at the end of the day, you got to drive business to the location. Um, and, and right now it's keeping listings up to date, making sure that people in your community know how to engage with you, um, letting folks know that these franchises, they really are locally owned and operated businesses. That's huge right now. And for brands trying to balance big national brand awareness campaigns and very hyper hyper local kind of consumer focused local campaigns that can be a challenge and and that's what we get to do for sure i think it can definitely be overlooked on that corporate side of how important someone wants to your consumer wants to feel important and wants to feel special and so that's where i think dive a little what does that look like for a brand how do you how do you execute that for that local customer for that local franchisee for sure. Brands have to balance a lot of stuff. I mean, brands are always protecting the reputation of the brand. Protecting the investment is something we talk a lot about on the brand side, because any franchisee that buys in, they're making an investment. And if we get a rogue franchisee who just wants to do their own thing or or doesn't want to kind of play by the rules or work within the system, that can damage the investment for, for everybody involved. So brands are always trying to, to balance how much can we do while protecting the investment. And what we're seeing more and more is, is there's really a lot you can do to be localized and to kind of target and put, uh, put emphasis on the consumer, be really respectful of the consumer and drive business in that fashion without you know, damaging the investment of the rest of the brand. Um, so one of the things we're seeing right now balancing what you do in listings with what you're doing on social. Sometimes it might feel like you're repeating yourself, uh, but getting information out there about what your business hours are and how you're open or, or what it looks like to interact with your business right now, um, those are the best things you can do. And to duplicate that in listings and on your social channels is huge. Absolutely. What is, so I know we've really hit the localized part. So Obviously, scalability is a buzzword for a lot of people, especially when it comes to business. How do you take such a customizable, such a personalized setup 
for these franchises in specific cities and then how, how, how does a business scale that across multiple locations in different regions because obviously even in the same city you get different people from suburb to suburb let alone from state to state oh for sure the scalability piece is something that we see brands kind of struggle with and take a lot of different approaches to solve so there are some brands who build infrastructure within the brand, um, whether it's franchise business coaches, kind of folks who get down and dirty with franchisees and help provide them guidance and advice on marketing programs in their area. And that's kind of certainly one way to, to take that approach. There are other brands who leverage SaaS solutions, who kind of put those marketing tools in the hands of their franchisees. And then it really does become, you know, a local business owner making decisions at the local level and being able to execute. Um, and where we step in is for brands who like to provide support but don't like to own the infrastructure. Uh, so we stand right alongside the brand, help provide the guidance at the location level, and, and really do help, you know, fill that scalability piece because you're right, like the more custom it gets and the more localized you want that marketing to feel, the harder it is to scale it and push it out nationally. Um, but that's where our teams come in helping to provide those relationships and that personal touch that really makes that magic happen. What I find, I and mean, we're just kind of thinking through this and you had said earlier that a lot of people don't necessarily realize that these franchise owners are still small business owners, even though they're part of this big brand. I was thinking in my head, you know, you've got like pizza chains. It's something that's always on my mind, but those are people that are behind that. It's not some big wig sitting behind a desk over in at the headquarters or something. There's still a local business owner from my town yeah. behind that. And even though they've got the support of whatever corporate and you see the ads and whatnot on TV for them and it's still a person behind there that is working their tail off to make that business run. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's something I think about all the times at time. And one of the things I love about the franchise business space is that franchising as a business model makes business ownership a reality for so many different types of people. Um, I think about the diversity and inclusion about the franchise community space. I mean, it really gives a path to business ownership that just wouldn't be possible for a lot of different types of people and gives them a way to, to participate in their communities. And you're right, like nine times out of 10, they are, you know, just a little guy in your community trying to survive. And why wouldn't you want to support that? I know I love it. So Emily, we're, we've talked, we're talking a lot about the people behind these businesses. And I know something when we were meeting beforehand and discussing this topic, something you kept saying was that scalable doesn't necessarily mean sacrifice. What did you mean by that? Yeah, yeah so absolutely. Scalable like shouldn't mean sacrifice. I think sometimes brands get this perception that in order to provide marketing services that meet the needs of the franchise system and protect that investment, that they have to sacrifice the local flair and flavor. And that's not the case. You don't have to make the sacrifice. You don't have to choose between something that is hyper-local and really effective for the franchisee and something that protects the brand and the investment of everybody involved in it. So we just really believe in doing, doing the hard work doing it really well and providing that perfect solution between brand compliance and local execution. Something that I'm just kind of thinking about now is, you know, when we're obviously when you're working with a brand and a franchise, you your the stakes are a little bit higher because this obviously more, like you said, protecting your investment is such a big part of it. Does that ever limit the ability for people to like 
a b test or play around and have kind of a sandbox to see what works what doesn't work is that something that a brand needs to be cognizant of yeah so honestly having a system having a lot of locations having them in many different geographies does exactly the opposite it opens so many possibilities for testing um, and it's something we always look at with brands that we work with to say are there corporate stores is there a franchise advisory council um, maybe there are some founding franchisees or some franchisees who kind of have other unique uh, aspects about them and where can we pull subsets to test in like test away it's how you know it's how you learn and especially right now all of these you know like choose your terminology uncertain times or rapidly changing times there's a lot to test right now we're we're going into the first holiday season best believe so many eyeballs are on the digital marketing space and what's going to happen with advertising in the next few months. I mean, these are, these are uncharted territories for all of us. So I know I'm excited. We've got some fun things coming with our brand partners and looking forward to seeing what happens. For sure. I think that's a big piece is I, I was reading something, I think it was from Google the other day that was talking about how just digital marketing has evolved like five years worth of progress within the last three months because it was forced to. There was no yeah. other options. And so people had to, when people are pushed into a corner, they innovate is what I typically see in people. And so they have to find solutions and it just changes the marketplace so much. And then everyone has to adapt to it. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure like whether you realize it or not, and, and you probably do because you're, you're hyper aware working for a marketing company and, and as much as your eyeballs are digital, like you've probably seen shifts in what's getting served to you in terms of advertising and kind of how it's being served to you. And, and so like, even to kind of put you on the spot, like, have you noticed anything different? And like, what would that be? For me, the biggest thing I've seen is local listings, the way those appear. I mean, yeah. you've got so many more options now within there that they've pivoted. We talked with Zach a couple months ago about all the change with Google listings of now they're offering, does it have delivery service? Are there alternate yeah. hours? All of these extra pieces of information yeah. that, it's interesting as you look at it, you go, well, why wasn't that there before? <laughs> um, yeah. But now that it is, it's kind of like, it's it's so great. So it, it's interesting to see how all those things change. And I, I feel like for most people, it's a subconscious shift in the way that they shop, which makes it even yes. scarier maybe that they can make okay. such a shift without anyone noticing. But yeah, no, it's so true. And, and a lot of the things that you've pointed out that, that you've experienced those are things that brands are testing and that folks are kind of playing around with right now and just trying to figure out what levers can we pull to encourage, you know, you don't want to use the term manipulate, but to kind of encourage I've always said manipulate doesn't have to be a bad word. That's Everyone fair. always says manipulate is negative. And I know I'm sure if you look <laughs> up the definition, it's got, it says negative in there somewhere, but mm -hmm. that's what we do in marketing. It's our job to manipulate. And fair. It doesn't always have to be for bad, but sometimes it's about getting people the information that they don't know that they need. Now, it can be yeah. used nefariously, obviously, as anything can, but I'm always, I'm a proponent of the positive manipulation. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we inspire certain behaviors is kind of the, the way we positively manipulate way. people. Yes, we but inspire. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a really cool space to play in kind of this coming holiday season to really balance where are you actually paying for space and kind of pl paying to play versus where are you actually engaging? And I think we've seen with so many of the social movements right now, 
folks love to see engagement. And so brands that can really strike that balance between paying to play in advertising and kind of earning advertising with engagement, that's going to be a really cool thing to see like kind of this holiday season and, and in advertising upcoming. For sure. I think one of those other wag measures is also seeing what sticks. I mean, through all of the things that are being thrown out now, what's going to be here in two years and knock on wood that we're through all of this, but what's going to still be a part of our daily life from this new transition. And I find obviously you mentioned with all the things that are happening, it's definitely, I think challenged brands to maybe step out of the safe zone at times. Yep. You can't live entirely on your brand reputation right now. There is certainly something to be said for brand recognition. There's certainly something to be said for national awareness, but it's not the end all be all right now. And these local pieces being able to highlight a local entrepreneur, a local business owner, being able to communicate effectively at the local level, I think that's where brands are really going to live and die. Emily, that's really awesome. I'd love to dive into your home bar, but that's a whole other podcast for another day. Um, Fair. But before we go, uh, before you go, as always, Caleb has uh, set up a little trivia for us, I believe. I'll let Caleb go through the uh topic and i guess the rules yeah so uh for this time i was thinking you know if we're talking about franchisees and uh franchisors and just franchises in general the the first one that always pops into my head are are those fast food joints you know we we have fast food and like pizza like dan said you know we uh i have a local buddy of mine that owns a couple of domino's pizza shops so uh but anyways i was thinking the other night and i was like all right Let's do some fast food trivia. I think that would be a, a, a fun game for us. So I've got three questions for each one of you. I do not have a tiebreaker. So if you tie, everyone's a winner. Okay. I'll just okay. I'll throw the last question if it ends up being. <laughs> <laughs> He'll throw right. the last yeah, question. Yeah, right. yeah, I definitely will okay. fake not knowing it. All right. So uh, Emily, with you with you being the the guest co-host today, would you like to go first, or would you like to punt and let let Dan take the first question? I'll go first. All right. So which fast food restaurant is credited with introducing the first modern day drive through window? It's either Burger King, Sonic, Wendy's, or McDonald's. Had to be McDonald's. Emily, I'm so sorry you're not correct. Oh, I would have gone McDonald's too, but I feel like maybe it's Sonic or something. And that's it's why not. No, the the Wendy's was credited with Good the first modern-day drive-through window, an All innovation right. introduced at the grand opening of their second store, November 1970. Love that. Oh my gosh, it's even our hometown I hero. Know. I was going to say representing <laughs> here. I'm a huge one. Wendy's guy. I love Wendy's. So. Yeah, I didn't realize that Columbus was a, a test market for yeah. a lot of foods. Our demographics are perfect for it. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Dan, this one's for you. Which of the following fast food restaurants was founded first? All right. Yeah. Burger King, In-N-Out Burger, Whataburger, or McDonald's? I mean, I feel like... Um, I hope McDonald's is an answer for everyone. And we just keep saying McDonald's. There, there are a lot of McDonald's on this list. <laughs> but I'm going to say McDonald's. I feel like the whole like Ray Kroc is the one that invented yeah. the idea of how you make food efficiently and quickly for fast food. So McDonald's is my answer. But was it founded first? I, no, because he bought it from a guy. He bought though. it from a guy. Um, 
I mean, you're. I've already. I've walked you've, it you, in. You've lost the point. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. It, it, it's 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 In and Out Burger. They uh, were founded in 1948 by Harry and Esther Snyder in Baldwin Park, right. California. McDonald's was 1955. Whataburger was 1950, and Burger King 1954. So even the well, and In and Out's cool because In and Out isn't a franchise. They're all still family really? owned. Are Good they really? Well, yeah, they're all still family owned, and like. Very intentionally so, which makes it super funny when people do, there's like this whole internet subculture of people who will like put up coming soon in and out burger like mm-hmm. signs on construction sites. Yeah. When it's, it's not going to be an in and out burger. It just gets <laughs> people really excited in that community. And then it's not an in and out burger. I'm just going to say it. I don't like in and out burger. There. Done. And we lost the Hot California cake. market. And here's. Yep, <laughs> I have a whole thing on it. That's a whole other podcast. Maybe we'll put it on the bar podcast. Gail, okay, oh. next question. Let's move along right. before I get in trouble. Emily, <laughs> what did McDonald's restaurants first introduce <laughs> in 1968? What did McDonald's restaurants first introduce in 1968? So it would be uh, Happy Meal, Ronald McDonald, the Big Mac, or the Egg McMuffin? 1968. 68? I'm gonna go with the Happy Meal. It was not the Happy Meal. The Big Mac. Mm. The Big Mac oh, was introduced system wide in 1968. The Happy Meal was 1979. Yeah, I was gonna say oh. Big Mac, but then I also thought like Ronald McDonald seems of that time. Ronald McDonald was actually introduced earlier in 1963. Okay. So I was like, no one would put okay. a clown as a mascot any time later than that. <laughs> so. Um. All right. When I was doing the quiz, I actually got this next one right. Okay. So, okay. All right. Where was the first Pizza Hut built? Built? Built. Where was the first Pizza Hut built? Now, is this cheating where it's like it was always a Pizza Hut or it like was bought and then the where name was Where was the changed? very first okay. Pizza Hut restaurant? Okay. Wichita, Kansas, Grand Prairie, Texas, Los Angeles, California, or Albany, New York? Man, Kansas is really appealing because it doesn't seem to make sense at all. Um, I was go yeah, follow the gut, Kansas. It was Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> Wichita, <laughs> Kansas. Yep. It was founded by two college students, Dan and Frank Carney, who borrowed six hundred dollars from their mother in nineteen fifty-eight. Huh. Six hundred dollars got amazing. you a whole Pizza Hut back then. Six hundred dollars. All right. I mean, mm. pizza oven and some. And, True. All right, Emily. This is this is your last question. You, you got to get it to to at least tie. I know. If not, you at least had fun, right? Yeah, of course. Yes, I've learned a lot. <laughs> what fast food restaurant was literally founded in a broom closet? McDonald's, Papa John's Pizza, Dairy Queen, or Subway? Oh, man. I really want it to be Subway because they are still the world's largest franchise system. So I've got to go Subway. It's not Subway. Oh. No, Papa John's Pizza. Interesting. So the, the, this franchise was founded in 1984 when Papa John mm-hmm. uh, knocked out the broom closet in the back of his father's tavern where he began selling pizza to tavern customers. Interesting. All right. That, blew, that blew my mind. And they had what, over 300 franchise locations in, two, uh, in 2005 was their, the height of their market. I would like to see yeah. that set up because how – how do you get the pizza oven in the closet and like are you putting oh. it are you like taking the pizzas into the closet and the, i don't know i'm assuming it was a very large closet sure but yeah they opened up the back of it and he started <laughs> selling right, hungry well, people I- at the tavern man 
Thanks, Emily, for joining us today. It was a lot of fun. Of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, for everybody else, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube video or leave us a comment below if you have any questions. Uh, if you're listening to the audio version, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google, Spotify, any place you really get a podcast. Don't forget to leave a review there as well. If you have any questions or a topic suggestion, you can shoot us an email at podcasts at revlocal.com. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching.